My discernment process took several years and went very smoothly. Each twist and turn led to affirmation of the call God had on my heart. God was present, I was praying without ceasing, I worked with great churches, and I found great mentors. Everything seemed to be falling right into place. Until I arrived in Tennessee. When we moved, Jordan and I both quit our jobs and finance with a good cushion and savings. I had gone over our financial aid package with the seminary multiple times and felt confident that the school would help Jordan get employed. Facing the reality that I would be earning far less money in the priesthood, I promised Jordan that having paid off the entirety of my monstrous student loan debt from law school before we left, that we would graduate debt-free from seminary. And that, of course, was immediately tested. Upon arrival, we were notified that despite what we were told, our health insurance would not be covered by the seminary and was an astronomical amount. We reasoned that this would be okay. We could pay it out of our savings until Jordan became employed and his insurance kicked in. Except we were provided no assistance in locating a job. Now, Swanee is a small town, and Swanee alums are given preference for positions not to mention they have the connections necessary to know about jobs and effectively be hired before the job is even posted. Jordan also worked in finance in what was the big city. Apparently, rural Tennessee did not see this work as an asset, and he was frequently told he was overqualified for position after position. Jordan worked odd jobs, bartending gigs, and even drove a taxi service for alumni for a nearly 48-hour straight one weekend while I picked up work all over the university for minimum wage. We did this all while I was doing my coursework, a full load of graduate-level classes. We cut budget item after budget item, but our savings kept depleting at an alarming rate. I stopped checking our bank account. Our only income was from our home in Jacksonville, who we rented out to what turned out to be some fairly crazy tenants. And the utilities on the mountains started crushing us more and more each month as the weather got colder outside. I expected the electric to be high because apparently it's tough to get power lines up the side of a mountain. But our water bill was running us several hundred dollars per month. I called the landlord, the water company, the school, begging them to do something, telling them there had to be a leak and that we couldn't keep living with such an insane monthly charge. I was going to be the first seminarian to drop out because I couldn't afford my water bill. They would send out plumber after plumber. They replaced the toilet, they checked the sinks, they dug up the pipes out to the road, and yet they couldn't find anything wrong. We were drowning financially, and this peaceful experience with God on a mountaintop that I had built up in my brain had quickly become a nightmare. One night, I sat in my car outside the seminary chapel before evening prayer, and I just wept. I screamed at God. I asked him how he could let me make such a mistake, how he could send me so far away from my family and my friends, how he could let both of us quit our jobs and not help us out. We were not some young kids fresh out of college. We were nearly 30. We had been functioning adults with lives. We gave all of that up. We had been so faithful. We had trusted God that everything would be okay, and God wouldn't answer. God wouldn't fix it. God was not holding up his end of the bargain. I went to chapel and continued to cry through evening prayer. 
I went home that night and continued crying while I read my homework and fell asleep. And the next morning, I didn't feel much better. But eventually, things did work out. They figured out we had a slab leak, and after jackhammering up our floor, fixed it and reimbursed us for some of our insane water bills. Jordan found a job with health insurance in the tech department, and he stayed in that position the rest of our time in seminary. Our crazy renters moved out, and new tenants quickly moved in. Our life found a new normal. I did graduate debt-free, and I was ordained. But the first eight months of our seminary journey involved a lot of nights full of tears and anger towards God. How much more the grief of Israel, as expressed in the Book of Lamentations and in today's psalm. After decades of fighting, Jerusalem was ransacked by Babylon. The temple and the city walls were destroyed, and many of the larger homes were burnt to the ground. Many Israelites were taken back to Babylon, some remained in Judah, and others found their way to Egypt. The family was separated. And the family home, especially the temple, the place where one must go to worship God, was destroyed. The book of Lamentations is a lament for the destruction of Jerusalem told from the city's point of view. The city has been deserted by God. It has been ransacked by people who had once been friends. Jerusalem weeps bitterly in the night as, though she has lovers, no one is there to comfort her. Her children have been taken from her. Her beauty has been destroyed. Her princes have no home after having been driven out. This song of grief, this song of mourning, reveals a city with no hope of redemption. Psalm 137 is from the perspective of the Jews who were captured and taken to Babylon. Only nine lines long, the psalm starts as one of sadness or grief remembering home, longing to return, wondering how to move forward. Then it takes a turn toward anger. The last line is even one omitted by many churches. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. These lines are hard to read. These lines are also scripture. What is holy about words spoken in anger? Words about dashing the heads of infants against rocks. Many of us have been in deep, overwhelming pain before. Many of us have felt a loss of hope, sometimes repeatedly. Many of us have grieved or mourned. We have lost a husband or wife, a son or daughter, a mom or dad. We have been laid off sometimes at the worst possible moment. We have been in a horrible accident or had an awful diagnosis, and life will never be the same. Home, that feeling of warmth and comfort and safety, feels so far away. We long for it, but we also know that things are different now and that home will never exist in the same way again. Out of that pain comes anger sometimes justified and sometimes not. We blame others for the state of things. We blame ourselves for our own stupidity or reckless behavior. 
We blame God for bringing us here and for not delivering us from suffering. And we often don't feel like we can share such deep, sharp, and intimate feelings with anyone. Our culture doesn't like pain. When folks say, good morning, how are you? They're not looking for an honest answer. (laughs) When someone dies, family members often remark that their friends appear to have evaporated. Especially for men, a show of emotion makes one vulnerable. And frankly, our society doesn't want to see that. But God sees it. God knows we are in pain. God knows we are angry. We can bring all of that, reasonable and unreasonable, to God. We can lay it at the foot of the cross. We can cry and wail and beat our breast and kick up dirt and cuss and spit. We can lie on a bed of ashes and sackcloth because God, too, knows pain. God knows anger. God knows grief. And God knows hopelessness. Jesus lived a human life. Jesus had human emotions. Jesus wept with his friends Martha and Mary at the death of their brother Lazarus, even when he had the capability to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Jesus knew what it was to be betrayed and to be shamed and to be physically tortured. And Jesus knew what it was to die alone. Jesus was disappointed and hurt and tired and angry and forsaken. God knows what it is like to be in pain and God wants to be that listening ear. Faith and sadness can coexist. Faith and anger can coexist. Faith and grief can coexist. Feeling these emotions does not make you any less faithful or any less Christian. We are not robots. Life can be hard and cruel and unfair. And God is big enough to take our burdens onto himself. So bring your worries to God. Bring your laments Yell and curse and scream and wish that someone would kill the children of your enemies in horrible and violent ways. Leave it all at the foot of the cross. Leave it at the feet of a man who has been there as well. And leave it with the God who said, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.